As we have done in the last four weeks, and today we will stand together and read the Lord's Prayer together. Now, the challenge was that we would all have it memorized today. And so we will put it on there for some of you who haven't been here every week. Um, but if you, if you want to, you can try to avert your eyes from the screen and see if you know it by heart. If you don't, just kind of peek over. I won't look and judge, you know. Um, I'm going to try to do it from memory because I do have it memorized, but I'm also on medication, so who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> Might start quoting different scriptures. We'll see. All right, let's stand together. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debt. Oh, as we forgive our debtors. Sorry, old translation coming in. Old translation. Forgive me, forgive me. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. So we have been going through this as we've looked through this prayer. We've learned that he's our father, right? That's, his, that's kind of the relationship we have with him is that we pray to him as though he's a father. He's in heaven, though, so he is holy, he is powerful, and he is different than us. Though he's our father and we can be close to him, he is not like us. God is much bigger and greater. So he's our father and he's in heaven. And we, our response to that is to just hallow his name, give glory to his name, recognize how holy and amazing he is. And then we, we're, we're asking for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And then it's on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to see the transformation in earth to look more like heaven. And that begins with each of us individually in our hearts that we're becoming less like the world and more like Christ. We're being transformed and we see that in our churches and we see that in the city and in the world. That it's being transformed to look more heavenly, to look more Christ-like. And so that's our prayer is that his kingdom come and his will be done. And then we trust him with our daily bread. We trust him with all of our needs because trusting him with our basic needs makes us more effective in the spiritual fight that we have as believers. When we're so focused on our bills and, and income and where our next meal is going to come from, we're not very effective spiritually because we're so focused on the physical. And the more we just trust God with the physical, we actually become a lot more useful in in actually bringing about that transformation and seeing it heaven on earth, really. And then we forgive. I mean, who are we not to forgive when God so lovingly and mercifully really forgave us? I mean, how can we say, you can't be forgiven, though I have been forgiven? And God pours out, you know, he lavishes his love upon us. He, he pours out his forgiveness. He, he did all of that through the cross. And so when someone wrongs us or hurt us, it really is the natural response as a believer to then forgive them, knowing that we needed forgiveness as well. And so we, we, we go to the Father and we continually ask for forgiveness in relationship when we've hurt him, when we've, when we've grieved the Spirit with our sin, and then we... In, in that we respond to God's forgiveness by forgiving those who wrong us, which is obviously easier said than done. But God puts forgiveness on a very high platform and says, this is important to me because I have forgiven you. You must forgive others. And then we get to today's text. And today's text really is broken down into uh, 
three portions. The first, of course, is and lead us not into temptation. The second, but deliver us from the evil one. And then the last one, the doxology. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You see, we, I want us to approach 2017 knowing that Jesus has purchased us. He's purchased us. Um, the world was Satan's. And through sin, we were connected to Satan. We were on our way to hell. We were on the road to hell. And we were dominated by that. And Jesus purchased us with the cross, with his sacrifice. He purchased us and he delivers us. You see, so we no longer have to be slaves to temptation and to the evil one. Instead, we are delivered into the freedom of knowing Christ and the work that he has done. And so, really, as it, it all summarizes in this at the end of the Lord's Prayer, that he delivers us. As we talked about when we're talking about forgiveness, we can't forget what Christ has done on the cross. The work he has done is too important to take lightly, and it's too important to not talk about. It's too important to not remember every day. That's why we do things like communion, to remind us of the, of the work he's done, that he has purchased us and he has delivered us. Jesus has done this work. And in 2017, I, I, I really do pray, my hope is that we do not lose sight of that. Are you with me? Are you with me that the most important thing that there is, is the gospel, that he has purchased you, he has delivered you. At the end of your life, that is the only thing that matters, church. At the end of your life, all the things that took so much time and took so much attention, so much brain power, so much effort, those things won't matter. What's going to matter is, are you in Christ or not? You know, we sang that song before I got up here. You know, Christ is enough for me. Can you say that? Can you say, Christ is enough for me? If I have nothing else, I have Christ and He is enough for me because He has delivered me. He has purchased me. I have everything in the spiritual realms because of the work He has done. Can you say that? Or do we have moments when we're living for everything else? We're not living for Him. Don't you have days where you're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I forgot. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be living for his kingdom and his will so that I would see transformation on this earth. Oh yeah, I forgot. Anybody else? Have moments where you're like, oh, what am I doing? Well, I hope that we would go through 2017 knowing what our purpose is, church. But that takes us remembering the work he has done. You see, there's a lot of immediate application to the Lord's Prayer. But it also wants to point us to the ultimate application. What really matters, what's outside of time, what's outside of this earth, and what's outside of our our very short lifespan, is the ultimate power and kingdom and glory of Jesus. And when we set our minds on these heavenly things, as the Bible so often tells us to, we become so much more effective in the immediate. And there's immediate application, but we must always remember the ultimate application. And so, we're going to go through these three parts of this last part of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at each one with the immediate application and the ultimate application. First, lead us not into temptation. Um, A lot of people struggle with this verse um, at first glance because they think, God's going to lead me into temptation if I don't pray this? 
Like, God's tempting me? This seems weird. That's not what it's saying by any means. The Bible actually teaches the opposite. In James 1, 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So it's not saying here that God will ever lead you into temptation. It's not saying here that God will ever tempt you with anything. That is, Satan and his demons tempting you, and you're led astray when you give in because of your own evil desires, because of your flesh. God, of course, never tempts us. But we pray this, lead us not into temptation. We really need to focus on that next line as well. But deliver us from the evil one. You see, he's contrasting something here. What the natural thing is, what's already happening is you're naturally being led into temptation. The world is naturally tempting you. Your, your own evil desires are naturally inclined to go towards that. And so this is already happening. So what we're recognizing is that God offers something different than what is already natural for us as humans. He's saying, I have something else besides leading you into temptation. You see, everything else is leading us into temptation, but when we go to him, we're being led from temptation. We're being led away from that. Jesus, in uh, the garden when he was praying with his disciples, um, they kept falling asleep, but Jesus said to them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't we know that's true? Oftentimes your spirit feels willing to do a good thing, but your flesh is weak. Your flesh is naturally inclined to go towards sin. It naturally wants to go towards sin. And Jesus says what? He says, watch and pray so that you're not led into temptation. So Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that we should pray about our temptations. We should pray and say, Lord, lead me away from those things. Deliver me here and now. You know, the, uh, the immediate application is that prayer leads us away from temptation. And His Spirit gives us power and victory. Right? His Spirit gives us power and victory. When you fight in the flesh, you'll lose. But when you fight with the Spirit of the living God who lives in you, you will have victory. There is immediate application here that you can have victory over your temptations, that you can be delivered from them, that you can have victory over them if you watch and pray and do it in the strength of the Spirit. The immediate application is there. But ultimately, there will be one day when every temptation is, is gone, when all sin is gone, when He finally delivers us, we will never again have to deal with the effects of the sin, of sin nature. Think about that. To never be tempted again. To live in perfection. Ultimately, we know that that is our destiny in Christ. To be holy and to never struggle with temptations again. But right now, we need to watch and we need to pray and we need to fight against our own flesh. Amen? Then he goes into the second part. But deliver us from the evil one. Right? Immediately, 
There's a lot to do with this. Some translations will say, and deliver us from evil. That's not a very good translation because the Greek says really that it's personal in that evil part. So it's really saying evil one or evil person or evil things. Very specific. Not just general evil, but the evil one. Jesus is teaching us here that we pray, you know, deliver us from the evil one. We were under the bondage of sin. We were, we were really Satan's. He had ownership over us because of the curse of sin. But in Jesus' name, we are delivered from the evil one to the righteous one, who is Jesus Christ. Some of the immediate application to that, though, is that Jesus delivers us here and now. You're not a slave to sin anymore. The one who is in you is more powerful than the one who is in the world. There is no demon more powerful than the spirit that lives in you. There is no other power more powerful than the power of God. Amen? And he lives in you. And so you can be delivered. And there is no other master when you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So it's foolish when we go and chain ourselves back up to our old master. And that's what temptation is trying to get us to do. We've been freed. The chains are broken. Our destiny is in Christ. Our calling is in Christ. But then we go and we sin and we chain ourselves back up to it. And we go, I kind of miss the old ways. But Jesus says here that you can be delivered from the old master and serve the new master. In John 17, 15, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus wants us to be kept from the evil one, from Satan, because he used to have power over our lives. But in Christ, and when we walk with Christ by his spirit, he has no power anymore, church. Don't say, oh, you know, Satan made me do it. The temptation was too strong. That is not true, because if you have the spirit of God, the spirit of God is stronger than Satan. The spirit of God is stronger than any temptation. You have the power when you trust in him. And when you lean into his presence and when you seek his spirit, you have power because he is more powerful than he who is in the world. But this is a battle. This is not something that comes easily. Hebrews thirteen or Hebrews 3 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day we need each other. That's why we have community groups. That's why we need to be meeting together with people who you can, you can trust outside of church, outside of community groups, that you can have one-on-one conversations with and exhort each other, confess to each other, be real with each other, because there is the deceitfulness of sin. He's a liar. Satan is a liar. And he wants to tear you down. He wants to trick you into coming back. He's like the crazy ex-girlfriend who's always trying to get your attention or something. He's try, trying to win you back. That didn't happen to me. That, no, nothing to worry about there. <laughs> you know, he's like, come on, come on, come back. But Jesus says that, recognize it for the deceitfulness that it is, and exhort one another, challenge one another, pray for one another. Fight this battle, because it is an everyday battle. He says, every day, so long as it's called today, you're going to need to exhort each other. Pray for each other. Encourage each other. Fight this battle. All the while, we ultimately remember that he has delivered us. He paid the penalty on the cross. He purchased you on the cross. You are delivered ultimately 
you're just waiting for that day. Our hope and our faith is in that day. But today, there's an immediate application that we must lean into that truth. And when we remember what he's done, remember who you are now. You're not a sinner anymore. God calls you a saint. He calls you a child. He calls you a royal priesthood. Your identity is different. And so we have to remember our ultimate identity so that we're more effective in the immediate, right here and right now. We remember that I am no longer the world's. I am Christ. I have been delivered. I can fight. I have power. Amen? And get to this last part, which the reason we did it in New King James instead of ESV, which is our normal translation, is that ESV and some other translations leave this part out because there's some disagreement about whether or not the original text had this. Um, I think the ESV is wrong in all of my studying, plus it's awesome, and plus it fits with a lot of the way the Psalms end, and even some of the prayers and revelations. It just fits with it. This doxology is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It really recaps everything for us. It puts the heart of the whole text back Um, to what it should be, back to what we should focus on, that it is his kingdom, his power, his glory. As I was thinking of this, you know, it's into his kingdom, by his power and for his glory that we have been delivered. At the end of the day, that's what this prayer is all about, but more than that, that is what our entire lives are about is that we are in his kingdom, by his power, for his glory. Amen? There's nothing more important than that. You know, I would say the ultimate and the immediate here are really the same. It's just knowing who you are and who Jesus is. I mean, our faith and our hope is in the fact that Jesus will deliver us into heaven where there will never again be temptation. There will never again be sin. The evil one will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And we will be with him in perfection for all eternity in perfect relationship. But right now, we just got to start living in that reality. The ultimate and the immediate is just pay attention to what's really going on in the universe. Don't get caught up in all the other things. Instead, just focus in on the real calling of your life, what's really going on in God's sovereign plan, and it's His kingdom, His power, His glory. I I love, really, the, the wording of it. I love the application of it. But church, I'm like you, and I, and I struggle with my flesh, and in my flesh... I get too focused on the world, that's in, everything that's in front of me. And I forget that there is a spiritual realm throughout all of it. There is a spiritual kingdom that I'm a part of throughout all of it. And that he has power and it's all for his glory. And we cannot ever lose sight of it. The moment we lose sight of what ultimately is going on is the moment that we really become useless in the kingdom. We become useless in, in, in the transformation in the world that God wants to see. Because we're focused on everything else. And we're not focused on Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing. On Facebook, I posted that this week we'd be going through my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Um, I have a lot of favorite chapters. <laughs> but when I really think about all that Jesus has done, 
and all that we have faith in, all that we have, have to look forward to, there is this beautiful, beautiful chapter in Revelations. Revelations chapter 5. We get to see what was going on in heaven. What is to come. It's this beautiful moment in heaven. Now, I love the cross, and I love knowing that Jesus just physically put his life on the cross and, and bore my sins, and, you know, I, I love reading those too. But we see this heavenly picture of what was going on throughout all of this in the throne room of God. And in Revelation chapter 4, John is really being allowed to view the throne room of God in heaven. Think about that. All right? I want you to think about that for a moment. John is trying to write down what he is seeing in the heavenly throne room of God. What we see is that they are worshiping. There's multitudes and multitudes. There's tons of people. There are angels, there's cherubim, and there's these 24 elders. They're all worshiping. And they're worshiping. And it's this beautiful picture of heaven. And then it changes scenes, seamlessly, from Revelations 4 to Revelations 5. We're going to start in Revelations 5, verse 5. This is him. He's seeing all this worship. He's seeing everything happen. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And then he he writes this about what he's seeing. He says in verse 5, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written with, within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So let's take a moment here. We see this heavenly scene where there's this scroll. And it's written on the inside and it's written on the outside, which John would have been really familiar with. Um, When a scroll was written both on the inside and on the outside, it normally was a legal document. And on the outside, it would have the qualifications of the one who was to open it. Because it's a legal document, no one else should be tampering with this. No one else should be reading it. This is a very powerful document, and there are certain qualifications. So no one dare open it up if they don't meet those qualifications. And that's why they're saying, who is worthy? There was no one in all of heaven. There was no angel. There was no saint. There was no elder. There was no... Cherubim, no one, even John there is worthy to open this. And so John is like, what's going on? How is this possible? He doesn't understand, so he starts weeping. He's like, why? There's no one to open this scroll. He's crying, and then one of the elders, one of the 24 elders says to him, no, no, no. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the lion. He's the king. And it says, he has conquered because he's conquered, and because he's the lion, he's worthy, and he can open up this scroll and its seals. But listen, in verse 5, 
He says, look, look, there's a lion. It's the imagery of a king, the imagery of an all-powerful one, of glory and honor. But then you look at verse 6, read with me. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Listen here. He says, behold the lion, right? Again, imagery, king, glory, honor, power. But as the lion walks up, what do they see? They see a lamb as though it was slain. See, Jesus is the lion, he is the king, but he is also the lamb, the sacrificial offering. He is also humble. He also took our place. He also was slain on our behalf. He was the one who purchased us. And we have to remember that Jesus is both the glorified king, but also the humble servant who took your place. And in heaven we see him as the lion and the lamb. And that was the qualifications of this seal, of this, of this scroll, was that it would be one who's the king, but also who laid his own life down for the believers. So what is the scroll? There's been some debate on it, but, but most scholars believe that this scroll is really like the deed to the earth. You see, when, when Adam fell into temptation, the power over the earth was given unto Satan, to sin. And that's why the earth has been cursed by sin. We've all been cursed by sin because Satan had really ownership over the earth. But when Jesus died on the cross, he purchased the deed back. He purchased all of us back. And he was worthy to do so. So in heaven, there is this legal thing happening in the throne room of God where the Lamb is purchasing us all back. He's redeeming us spiritually, legally, judicially. He wasn't just some guy who laid his life down for you. This is the almighty sovereign king of the universe, Jesus Christ, the lion, who comes and and is slain as a lamb as a sacrifice so that he can purchase you, so that he can purchase you. And it's a beautiful thing to see what was going on in heaven here. You see, God was doing an amazing work. And we'll keep reading here. And they kind of bust out in song as this is happening. In verse 9, and they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the throne, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of 
that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do you see the similarity between this and the Lord's Prayer, the doxology? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the honor and the praise. He's worthy. It's the Lamb who was slain. Oh man, it's all about Jesus at the end of the day. Everything we do here, church, is about Jesus ransoming us. That's the heart of the gospel. It has to. It has to, church, be the heart of Austin Chapel. What else are we doing if it's not about Jesus? If it's not about the Lamb? If it's not about the transformation that we can see in others' lives? He ransomed people with his own life. Oh man, the gospel is so good, church. You know, I was going over vision statements, I was going over different things for a church, and part of me is like, man, if I could get this more specific here, and maybe get some more like details on this part, and all this stuff, and like, you know what I felt the Spirit of God saying to me? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> That's what I felt. Keep it simple, stupid. What's our vision for our church? Keep it simple, stupid. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about the fact that he has ransomed me. He has purchased me. I am no longer the world. I am his. And I want the same for everyone else. That's what it's all about. It's all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And we are all in his kingdom. And we want to see his kingdom grow. We want to see others brought into his kingdom. Amen? Do you want to see others brought in? Those who do not know Jesus, those who are hurting and who are depressed and who are broken and who are far from God and who are confused and who are maybe even arrogant about their own lives, don't you want to see that transformation? Don't you want to see them to come to know the loving Savior who, though he was a king and deserved all glory and honor, took their place as a lamb and was slain on their behalf, purchasing them? Don't you want that, church? I know I do. I know I do. But I have to keep focused on what's really going on in the world. And not me, me, me. I need this. I need that. I I wish work was better here. You know, I wish Lincoln wasn't so fussy. (laughs) You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the whole day. And then all of a sudden I forget what I'm really living for. I'm really living for the gospel. I'm really living for his kingdom. And I want to see my life transformed. I want to see our church's lives transformed. And I want to see this city transformed by the message of the gospel, the power of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, ransoming his people. Amen? I have this video, and um, in a moment here, uh, we'll play it. And I want you to really think from as you're as you're watching this video about what our church is all about or what our church should be all about. And this video has... Um, at different times in my life as I've watched it. It's actually a part of a song. I got it in a video form with um, some lyrics so you can read it as well as listen to it. It's brought me to tears many times. And so I hope you guys watch it and just think of our church and our city and what we want to see. So you can play that time. 